Hello, and welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mozingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. I wanted to share with you a quick detail about these podcasts. Many people in countries outside the U.S. are listening regularly to the same messages as you are. Countries like New Zealand, Germany, the Philippines, India, Ghana, Singapore, Colombia, Mexico, and Hong Kong. These messages are impacting more and more people. We appreciate you all and pray that your lives are being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind. Today we are going to change things up just a little bit. Pastor Todd published a book a couple of years ago called Hide and Seek. He is joined by his wife, Jan, and Revive's assistant pastor, Massey Campos, to discuss this series about the lies that hide in our souls that lead us to believe things that are not true and then to act on those beliefs. Today they are looking at the stronghold of religion. A stronghold is a fortress, a result from 1 Corinthians 10, 3-5, of speculations that become lofty things in our minds that are raised up against the knowledge of God and become beliefs. Religion is a very sensitive and deeply personal topic. This has to do with our deep desires to please God, our desires to be approved by God, our desires to defend God in the world. Satan knows this about us and will seek to deceive us with our own desires by lies in our belief systems. Let's listen in to what Pastor Todd, Jan, and Massey discuss about this important topic. Be sure to listen in to the end for some important information. We used to play this game called hide and seek where somebody would count and somebody would hide. Uh, And then after they were done counting, they would go look for that person and see if they could find them. And when they found them uh, in that hiding spot, this is what we know that's true about that hiding spot from now on. It's no good anymore. Uh, It can't be used again because the person counting would always go back and look where you hid the last time. And so what we're talking about, the fact that the devil wants to hide lies in our belief system. We got to go find those things and expose that hiding spot so that that hiding spot is no longer available for him to use. Our base scripture on that is 2 Corinthians 10, uh, starting 3, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for our weapons of warfare are not flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses, which we interpret as strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to Christ. I see those as an escalating thing. In other words, we have thoughts. Everybody has thoughts. There's not a good or a negative or a positive in thought. It's just what comes to your mind as your thought. But that thought can turn into a lofty thing. Scripture says that a lofty thing is something that sets itself against the Word of God. Uh, In other words, what I think I'm comparing to the Word of God and deciding which one is right. It becomes a speculation when we believe that our thought is correct over God's thoughts. I I now believe that what I think is true as opposed to what he said, and it steps straight into a stronghold in your belief system. There is now a lie that's in your belief system, and it will constantly work against you in the spiritual realm uh, in order to have you act in a way uh, that We don't need to act. We need to be following the Spirit. So let me start today as we talk about the stronghold of 
religion, the stronghold of religion, I want to start by saying our enemy by Scripture, by the Word of God, is cunning and wise and deceitful. And we need to recognize that when he comes after us, he's going to come after us in a cunning way that's pretty wise, that's going to involve deceit. Uh, See, here's the reality. Satan has more experience dealing with humans than you as a human have dealing with Satan. He's been around a while. He's watched the progress and he watches how man thinks and how man reacts and what's important to man. And he uses those things. So he has thousands of years of weaponry to come against you with. Uh, And so the stronghold of religion for me is probably literally the scariest stronghold. It's the scariest one. And the reason for me it's the scariest one is it's shrouded in such a great deception and it plays at the very core of who we want to be and what's important to us before God. Hear me out. We want to praise God. We want to be right and righteous before God. We want to understand and walk in God's ways. We want to defend God to a lost and dying world. We want to stand up for God, and Satan knows that. Therefore, he's going to use that to work against us and plant a lie. Satan comes to deceive us about the Word of God. He will twist the Word. He will twist the truth. And he'll play on your desire to please God. Sometimes a believer can be deceived just by their desire for biblical revelation. Let me say that again. Sometimes believers can be deceived by their desire for biblical revelation. In other words, their hunger for God makes them look for anything revelatory. So the devil can place out there something revelatory. Oh, I've never thought about it that way again, but that way might be wrong. It might be counter to the word of God, but we'll hear it and we'll believe it. Satan learns what you know. Satan learns what you know. Let me show you what I mean by that. Consider in the garden. Let's go to Genesis 3, 1 and 2. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, watch this, Indeed, has your God said, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Just think about that. Why is he asking that question? He's asking that question to see what Eve knows. Uh, Satan asked her first, did God tell you anything about the trees in the garden? So don't miss it. He didn't ask her, do you know about the tree of life? Do you know about the tree of good and evil? He didn't lay it out there where he was going. He simply said, did God tell you anything about the trees? But now when Eve responds, he has the information. She knows about this. She knows about this, so I can go after her. In verse 4 and 5, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now watch this. Watch how he's deceiving Eve. Will her eyes be open if she eats from the tree? Yes. Will they know good and evil? Yes. 
Will they be made more like God because they know good and evil? Yes, they will because now they understand sin and God understands sin where they didn't understand sin before that. And today man listens to Satan and however man perceives it, this new uh, view, this new reality, and then they become deceived by it. It's incredible what Satan does to manipulate the Word of God to use it against us. It's a t- That's why I say it's the scariest thing, because we're hungry for the Word of God, and he's presenting to Eve, hey, uh, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, you'll know good and evil. Those are good things, right? But it wasn't. She was deceived. So we'll ignore the context We'll ignore the consistency of Scripture. Uh, We'll ignore the very character and principles and Word of God because we want a new revelation. We want a new understanding. I'll tell you an example that goes on today in Christianity. Uh, the, The revelatory concept of free grace, that there's no reason to not sin because we're under grace. That is so counter to Scripture. We are definitely under grace, but there's scripture after scripture after scripture that says, be righteous, be holy, turn away from your sin, don't walk in those ways. And yet there's a, there's a, a theology going on in Christendom today that once you've been saved and once you're under grace, it's okay to sin. It's not, not according to scripture, but we can get deceived by that. Uh, so uh, we'll listen to craziness if it's put in a spiritual package. We'll listen to craziness in a spiritual package. Was Eve a wicked person? No. She was sincere, but she was deceived. You can be a solid, loving, sincere, beautiful Christian and be deceived. Let me show you something. 1 Timothy 2.14 says this, And it was not Adam who was deceived... But the woman being deceived fell into transgressions. Now put that with Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. This is what Eve believed. It was a deception, but she believed it. Now watch this in, in, in Romans, Romans five fourteen. It says, nonetheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is the type of him to come. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but it says that death reigned from Adam, not from Eve. Eve was the one who Satan deceived and she ate, but man takes the blame. Now, was it still a sin for Eve? Yes. But she believed this thing. Now watch, in in Genesis 3, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now look at verse 7, first word, then. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made a loin covering for them. Let me ask you this question in verse 7. Why does verse 7 start with the word then? Why doesn't it start with so their eyes were opened, or 
therefore their eyes were open. I believe it was because their eyes were not open until Adam ate. See, Eve was deceived. She thought what they were doing was okay, but I believe Adam knew it was against the Word of God. So their eyes were not open until Adam ate from the fruit. And again, still sin for Eve. I'm not saying it's not, but she was leading the way to sin through the deception that had been put on her. So let me just say this, and there, there are things I will say today that I'm going to ask you to find a way to write down. Bring out your phone, your iPad, whatever you got with you. Uh, take the pen from in front of you. Take an offering envelope. That's fine. Write these things down. When you take on the spiritual responsibilities for others, it is an awesome and fearful responsibility. If you're going to take on the spiritual responsibility for someone else, you need to do that with a reverence and a fear because if you are deceived, you will lead others into sin and there are serious consequences for that deception that leads to sin. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? Eve was deceived and led Adam to sin because she was deceived. She was getting revelation of the word. It was true. My eyes are going to be opened. I'm not going to die. I'm going to be more like God. And it's, it's great for taste and it's good to make me wise. So I'm going to do this. And then she gave it to Adam and they both sinned. The deception can be so great when it comes to a deception about the word of God. John 16, 1 and 2. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Now listen, they will make you an outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering a service to God. Think about what that scripture just said, that the deception is so great that these people are murdering other people and believing they're doing it in service to God. They have read the word of God. They know the word of God. Now they believe the word of God gives them a right to go and murder someone else. The stronghold of religion can also come through a spirit. In Acts 16, it says this, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination, spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out loud, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Doesn't that seem like a good thing? It's a right thing. That's exactly what Paul and them were doing. They were proclaiming the way of salvation. They were servants of the Most High. It's truth. It's truth. But keep reading. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the woman, no, said to the spirit, 
I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very moment. Now, let me ask you, how many of us are spiritually astute enough when someone is proclaiming that we're a believer and we're servants of the Most High and we're, we're evangelizing, how many of us are astute enough to say that's a spirit of divination? Listen, that's a deception that's huge. We can have people around us who are proclaiming great things for Christ, and they have nothing to do with Christ. They have a spirit that is trying to deceive us, to make a connection with us, to get close to us so that we can be further deceived. I know this is tough, but how do we deal with that? How do we deal with knowing is someone working in a deceptive spirit with Scripture, or are they legit? I think there are three ways we can deal with that. This is where I'll ask you to take notes again. Three ways in dealing with knowing whether this is a deception scripturally or if this is a spirit of divination. Number one, always consider the source. Always consider the source. My mentors will always be people who have walked with the Spirit for many, many years. I know my source is close to God, and I know that over the character over a long time. I didn't meet you six months ago, and you become my mentor. I met you 10 years ago, and you became my mentor. Uh, I don't want, and, and I've said this before, and I hope you guys can grab a hold of this in a non-offensive way, but there is no such thing as a rookie expert. It doesn't exist. So if you've been a believer for six months and you want to be put in charge of a ministry, forget it. <laughs> you are too young in Christ to be able to manage what happens in that ministry. The devil will step right in and crush you like a bug. You've got to have some maturity. No rookie experts. You've got to have a proven ex uh, uh, track record to get respect. That's why prophets measure prophets. Are you hearing me? If the word of God is going to come through a prophet, I need an experienced prophet to say, yes, that is from God, or no, that's from their soul. No, they think they're doing the right thing. No, they think they're saying the right thing, but the spirit is not in that word. And this person knows it because they have been working in the prophetic for a while, because their word has been tested and found good. That's number one. Always consider the source that it's coming from. Number two. Look at the facts against the word, now watch this, and the character of God. Eve was deceived with the word of God. But look at the word of God and the character of God. What do I mean by that? What did Paul see when he looked at the facts? This is a slave girl. Now, that's not bad in itself, but it's a fact. Number two, she was selling prophetic words. I don't ever recall God being okay with selling his word. Number three, other people were profiting off of what she was doing. In other words, she's being used by other people for their financial gain. Number four, her support became annoying. What do I mean by that? Have you ever been around somebody's just got too much Jesus? 
after a while, you're like, dude, you can't be that righteous. You can't be that connected. You're covering something up by trying to spout Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the reality is what happened was Paul recognized it. Listen, in his spirit, in his spirit, he said, something is not congruent with the words coming out of her and the spirit within me. So I know for some reason this is annoying me because this doesn't fit the character of God. Number three, no truth. No truth. And let me explain again. This is why we have mentors. This is why we have spiritual fathers. You cannot be a rookie and know the truth. You can know the truth about salvation. You can know the truth about Christ. But there is a lot more we need to learn, and that takes time. So how do I know something is truth? I'm going to give you about seven or eight things here. Is it consistent with the Word of God throughout? Is it consistent with the Word of God throughout? Number two, is it consistent with the character of God? I can't tell you how much I've learned by understanding that statement because oftentimes scripture will confuse me, but when I put it with the character of God, it tends to make sense again. I have to understand the character of God. Make sure that whatever it is is confirmed in the word in multiple places. Why do I say multiple places? Because over and over and over in Christendom, people take one scripture out of context, apply it to a new revelatory thought, and send people in a crazy direction. You've got to be able to take that one scripture and show where it's consistent with other scriptures and make sense. My next one, does it make spiritual sense? In the spirit is how we're supposed to be walking, not in the flesh. Things can make sense in the flesh. The question is, does it make sense in the spirit? Next one, it doesn't contradict any of God's ways, including the order that God puts in place. Let me tell you why I use this one. I use this one because many people want to, out of their desire to serve God, operate out of order. Here's what I mean. You should listen to me. I should be put in a place of authority. I know what I'm talking about. No, you don't. We can tell that because your words are not consistent in Scripture. You don't understand the character of God, but you want to be put out of order and have people listen to you when you're not ready for people to listen to you. I'm not being mean. I'm just talking about oftentimes we don't, we, we step over the people that God puts us in place to learn from. Next one, it can be confirmed through mentors through mentors, seeking advice for what I think I believe before I begin spouting what I believe. Do you hear me? In other words, wow, I just learned this. This is the coolest revelation I've had in a long time. This is an amazing scripture. I think it says this. You take it to someone who's been walking with the Spirit for years and years and years, and you say, is this what this says? And they say, no. Love you, but no. Or they say, yes, you got that revelation. That's awesome. So I have a confirmation that what I've learned revelatory is biblical. And then finally, it's not advice from a rookie. I'm going to say it over and over and over. And if you're a rookie, God bless you. 
God bless you. I love you. He has plans for you. He has a future for you. He's going to make a great, amazing, incredible person of God out of you, but you're not that today. I started in ministry as an eighth grade boys Sunday school class teacher because somebody was wise enough to say, let's give him a place that's low to start with so he learns how to teach, so he learns the word, so he learns how to put a lesson together so that he can work in a realm. And they gave me curriculum. Stay with this. We don't want you going on your own. You're not ready to go on your own. So let me remind you, when you take on a spiritual responsibility for other people, it has serious ramifications. Don't step into spiritual leadership role lightly. Now listen, the spirit of religion can also come through misguided sincerity. Misguided sincerity. This was the problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees get such a bad rap and they deserve it, but they get such a bad rap when you have to go back and consider who they were, what they had dedicated their life to, and what the process of that dedication was. Uh, we learn from scholars that part of their dedication process was memorizing the Torah. I'm good if I can memorize a few verses. These guys are memorizing five books of the Bible in order to know what to do with it. They're earnestly following God, but they had completely lost sight of his character. It shows in this way. They wanted to punish the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus said no. They wanted to condemn Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath. They condemned a group of disciples for plucking grains of wheat, rubbing them between their hands and eating them on the Sabbath. Now, I'm going to tell you right now the most powerful thing I'll say today. If you haven't taken notes at all, this is the time. I want you to take this note. You can be 100% right in your biblical understanding and be 100% wrong in the application of that understanding. I have in my notes, say this three times. You can be 100% right in your biblical understanding and 100% wrong in the application of that understanding. Since you're taking notes, you can be 100% right in your biblical understanding and 100% wrong in the application of that understanding. That's what the Pharisees did. They knew the word. Uh, they did all of this out of their desire to do right by God, but it was deceived on who God is. Jesus made it clear. Uh, was not mm, the Sabbath made for man? What's wrong with you guys? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, who wouldn't get a donkey out of the ditch if it fell in the ditch on the Sabbath? You wouldn't rejoice over this person getting healed? What is wrong with you? you? You overlook the fact that the person got healed to say it shouldn't have been done on the Sabbath. In other words, get your priority of love for people straight first. Get your priority of people's love straight first. Even today, religion can be seen from a mile away. Everything needs to be a rule, and everyone not following the rule needs to be condemned. 
This is what the Pharisees did. They broke it into the rules. They enforced the rules. Anybody not following the rules should be condemned. And Jesus said, you guys are hypocrites. You're clean on the outside, dirty on the inside, because you won't even follow what you're teaching. A man told me one time that a church could not worship God unless they were face down on the floor. Could not worship God unless they were face down. He believed it. He used his scripture to show me. Uh, it was all about everything bows before God. And, and just, Satan wanted Jesus to bow before him because that's the only way you can worship is by bowing. Listen to me. That is true if you want to deal with the flesh. But Jesus is looking for us to be bowed down in our spirit. He's not looking, he doesn't care if we're standing or sitting or, or laying on the floor. What he cares about is where's my spirit in the worship of him? I have to worship him in spirit. I remember one time as a worship leader, I had to go to a church and, and take a traditional worship format and turn it into a contemporary worship format. And I don't want to get technical with you, but the sound systems you use for both are different because one has a piano and a keyboard and a microphone and that's it. The other has all kind of instrumentation. So I had to put in a sound booth. Uh, and, and then this auditorium had 750 seats, and I found a way to put that sound booth in where it matched all the walls, where it looked good, and we didn't lose a single seat. And the head of the building committee, an 80-year-old man, literally put his finger in my face, and he said, your sound booth is a pimple on the face of God's sanctuary. <laughs> now, no offense, but I looked at him and said, what? I, I don't even know how that makes sense. Yeah. I could tell you story after story, but that religion stronghold comes to the front. I've got some rules. This is how things ought to be. And if you're not following them, you'll be condemned. Now, these people are dead serious. They're very serious in what they've learned and what they believe. But you can also be wrong in your biblical interpretation. I've been a believer since I was 20 years old. I've been a Bible teacher since I was 24. I can tell you today, I taught things wrong in my 20s. I heard somebody say something that I thought was cool and I wanted to teach it and I taught it and it was wrong. Many of you know I came out of a Church of Christ and Baptist background. I taught some things wrong. <laughs> Not offending you guys. I was there. I was there. Watch this. Acts 9. Acts 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found, Saul, anyone belonging to the way, Jesus Christ, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In other words, at the synagogue, Pharisees, would you give me a letter so that I can go to Damascus, go into the synagogues, if I find anybody following Jesus, I can put them in chains and bring them back for trial. Saul's a Pharisee. He dedicated his life to serving God. He's ready to kill, ready to arrest, ready to bring to trial anyone following the Messiah, but he is deceived about the Messiah. See, the Pharisees didn't understand the Word of God enough and the interpretation of it, and they should have, because if they did, they would have known Jesus was the Messiah. They would have known in Scripture that over and over and over in the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. It points to where He's going to be born, how He's going to die. It points to who He is and what kind of things He will do. 
but they never saw it. They were deceived. Their eyes were not open to that interpretation, but they were convinced they were right before God and they were calling for the death of believers. Isn't it amazing how we can see the error in others, but not in ourselves? Yeah, I did a study a couple weeks ago about pride. It's pride that keeps us from seeing it in ourselves. Why? Because we're so convinced we're right. We're so convinced we're right, we can't accept anything else except what we believe. So what are the lies that are hiding in our belief system when it comes to a stronghold of religion? Number one, I can defend the things of God to others in an unloving way. That's a lie. That's a lie. You cannot use the words of God talking to someone else in an unloving way. It's what creates the battle. It's what the battle. It's what creates battle. It's what creates defensiveness. It's what creates disunity. It's what creates division when you begin to use the word of God in an unloving way. Two, love and unity. This is a lie. Love and unity are less important than being right. Let it sit for a minute. Love and unity are less important than me being right. I'm in the role of condemnation because I know what is right. That's a lie. You should never be in the role of condemnation. Everyone should be at the same level of understanding God that I am. Here's what just drives me crazy. When we're talking to people who say, don't you see this? It's right there. Don't you understand that? And they themselves didn't understand it three years ago. But now that they've learned it, you should understand it and give them grace for the fact that they didn't understand it, but now they do. See, listen, when we're talking to someone in our maturity, I'll grant you that, you have spiritual maturity, you have biblical maturity, you understand those things. To not understand and allow grace for the fact that they don't understand it yet, that they're going to have to have it revealed to them, listen to me, by the Spirit. You can give them the words to ponder, but without the conviction of the Spirit, they're never going to understand that. Mm, that's not even in my notes. <laughs> Here's the final one. God would be proud of me for condemning the sins of others. If we confront in love, there's no judgment and there's no condemnation. So humility is a key when it comes to the religious stronghold. You have to ask yourself this question. Could I be wrong? Could I be wrong? Just because I understand it this way, Eve understood it a certain way, but she was wrong. Could I be wrong? Is it consistent with the Word of God? Is it consistent with the character of God? Is it confirmed in the Word of God in multiple places? Does it make spiritual sense? Does it contradict any of the ways of God? Can it be confirmed through mentors? Uh, does it need to be addressed now? Uh, Pastor Polk on Wednesday night said one of the signs of maturity is knowing when to shut up. <laughs> yeah, because when you're mature enough, you can recognize this person's not going to receive what I'm saying right now. So I need to pick a more opportune time to present this so that they can receive it. It takes wisdom to know it's time to shut up. It's time to give them grace. It's time to find another way to go at this. Mm. Is it in order? Am I being a rookie expert? I think that's four times I've said it now. <laughs> if you want to identify the stronghold of religion, 
Here's how you can see it in someone else. They don't show love. They show judgment. They show condemnation. They want to embarrass, expose, and damage the people who they believe are offenders. They are prideful, and they are not teachable at that moment. They are critical and accusing, and they must convince others that the person they believe is wrong is actually wrong. Hear me out. It's not enough for the spirit of religion to convince you that you're wrong. I have to convince other people that you're wrong because it supports my belief. It's a spirit of religion. It's a stronghold of religion. It's a scary, scary thing because there's such a fine line between the Word of God and the stronghold of religion. These things shouldn't exist in the church. That's not who we should be to each other. We're all here diligently seeking this loving God through His saving Son, Jesus Christ. That would be the thing I would need to look at you and say, you are just as diligent as I am in my desire to understand and to know. John 13, 35 says this, By this, all men, everybody say all men, will know that you are my disciples. So what he's saying is, I'm going to show you something that by measuring that, all men will know whether you're following Jesus. One thing I'm going to show you that everybody will know you're following and you're a disciple of Jesus if this is true. If you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. We'll be defined as disciples of Jesus by how we show our love for one another. There's an author. Her name is Jennifer Evaz. And Jennifer Evaz, when she talks about this subject, she says, we see and we discern in the Spirit in order to heal to pray, to deliver, but not to embarrass, expose, or damage. Expose or damage. See, what happens is the majority of the time a person with a religious stronghold is not looking for reconciliation. They're looking for separation. They're looking to say, you need to be excluded. You need to be pushed out because I disagree with you. Maybe, and this is my final word on it, maybe what we need to begin to do is look for the fruit. Look for the fruit. If there is a religious stronghold there, you will see gossip. You will see judgment. You will see out-of-order actions. You'll see immaturity. Sometimes you'll see charm. You'll see rumors. You'll see division. You'll see taking sides. You'll see disunity. But the fruit should be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And listen to me reconciliation and restoration. Mm. Any disunity or need for correction in the body should actually break our hearts. The desire for unity should come running to the front. I have this disagreement with you. We must resolve it. We must be restored. We must be reconciled to one another. And when someone is operating under the stronghold of religion, listen to me, we owe it to them to go to them in love and say, brother, I see judgment in you. I see condemnation in you. Now, the Bible lays out a pretty simple process. It says when you got a problem with another brother or sister or something they're doing, you go to them one-on-one, one-on-one, not with your posse, 
Not with all the people backing you, knowing you're going to talk to them, but you're seeking reconciliation. You should be doing that one-on-one. Now, you go and there's no reconciliation. Now, here's the beauty of the reconciliation process. We don't know yet who's wrong. Okay, so then he says, if you can't come to a resolution, take one or two of your brothers with you. Listen to me, take a mature believer with you. Sit down and say, okay, the three or four of us believe this is the right view, and your view doesn't seem to coincide with that scripturally or come in line with God's character, so we want to talk. If you can't find reconciliation, don't forget this last step. Take it to the church. Now, why would he say that? Because I don't think what he was saying is, let's take a vote in front of the church. I think what he's saying is there are mature spiritual believers in your leadership, and those people need to sit down and look at this thing. And they need to say, hey, here's truth. Here's what we've learned. Here's what we've understand. Here's truth. So here's what I want to leave us with today. It should break our hearts when we're not in unity with one another. And the goal of, of getting uh, in unity is reconciliation with that person. And when we begin to gossip and judge, we're not working in love. We must work in love. Listen, if I'm wrong and you approach me in love, I'm a hundred times more receptive to what you have to say than if you approach me in judgment and condemnation. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. What if, in our attempt to get something from Scripture, we are missing the point of that Scripture? What if in our desire to do better and walk our Christianity more closely in line with Scripture, we are missing what the Scripture is about? Pastor Todd's latest book, Flip the Script, takes a fresh look at what the Scriptures are meant to teach us about the kingdom of God so that application comes from spiritual understanding instead of behavior modifications. This new book is available now on Amazon, Flip the Script. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.